Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Joining me at this time to talk all things uh, Nutcracker from uh, the Tennessee Theater, where I was at a couple hours ago with my awesome uh awesome beautiful wife uh sam at brent hubs of volquest.com brent your your main takeaway from uh the nutcracker from any viewing i i have to believe you've seen it once no i have really? I, I, no i i couldn't tell you the first I, I can't tell you what the nutcracker is about i know mm. any, i don't know anything other than the little um the little soldier looking boy mm. i guess with the nutcracker that's all i got i, I think I he's actually nothing. the nutcracker i know nothing else Brent, I I'm, sat, not very, I'm not very cultured. Brent, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> when I tell you, I have no idea what it was. I have no idea what I sat through. I don't understand the plot of this. It seems like it's a very basic plot. Still didn't really follow it. I had some takes that I was firing off after walking out and uh, was cracking my wife up. But <laughs> there was a passerby who uh, who overheard because I, I was getting some some hot takes off. Where it was kind of surprising me because like. The women are so good. Like the, they're really talented and just because I didn't know it was a ballet until last week, Brent. I didn't know that that's what the Nutcracker was when I signed up uh, for this last month uh, with my wife. And it's uh, no talking, so you're you're kind of trapped. You're in really close quarters. The lights are really dim, so you kind of want to get a good snooze going anyway. I don't really have any context for it. I imagine it's a lot like what it's like for my wife to, uh, for me to watch all these different sporting events that she's not uh, all the least bit interested in. It's like you popping in uh, to a Lifetime movie, the middle of a Hallmark movie with your yeah. wife and you have no context have, for it. Why do I have a vision of you as a skinny Kevin James and uh, King of Queens? Oh, yeah. You got stuck into something. 100%. You know, it's funny. I love King of Queens and uh, with uh, some of my buddies, they know about uh, that relationship and the, the yes, that is absolutely uh, how I feel sometimes because I just didn't just don't get it. I, I didn't get it, but I would I would look at it. I was like, man, it was tough. It was like watching um, just the women were so much better than the men. And that was my take. I was like, this is you got to separate it. It's uh, it's different. They're just putting on a clinic in the ballet recital here. Uh, the feet movements. And I'm also as someone who broke his foot last year, I'm watching the foot movement. It's wild. Your foot's not supposed to bend like that, Brent. And I mean, it's, I couldn't do it. There's no way. Well, I hope you had a good time and I'm sure your wife appreciated you going. Oh, Brent. I mean, I, I didn't miss much like Tennessee. Uh, you're not going to believe this, Brent. Tennessee struggled to score the basketball uh, another night. You'll, you won't believe this. I don't know if you are familiar with the general's quarters, but they're not handling uh, another night of rough shooting. Uh, no, they're, they're not. A, a break is probably good for everyone right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see where they are on, on January the 2nd, their final tune-up, and then it gets real when they go into conference play and, and take on Ole Miss to get started. And you know that's going to be a defensive struggle because of the way Chris yep. Beard plays. So, um, you know, Dalton Connect's got to figure it out a little bit. Um, and, and I know a lot of people are, are thinking that like Rick Barnes is shutting him down or whatever. And I, I don't think that they've done anything different mm-hmm. um, other than teams are saying, hey, let's don't let him go to his left. You know, let's don't mm-hmm. let him dribble down the lane to his left. And he's I think he's five for his last 21. So he's not shooting the ball particularly well. And nobody's giving him anything easy. They got a book on him right now and he's got to adjust out of it. Tennessee will adjust and it'll be fine. I mean, it's. You know, the good news is that they, they've won some games without him being a, a big factor, but he's proven he can be a big factor, right? Like mm-hmm. 
he's not, you know, who's the guy from the Knicks? Jeremy Lin, was that his name? Jeremy Lin, yeah, there you go. It was like a splash for like three mm-hmm. weeks, but then everybody figured out who he was, and he was a non-factor. Lin Sanity. Yeah, this, this is not Dalton Connect, right? No. Dalton Connect's going to be fine. He's scored everywhere he's been. He'll score again here. He'll get it back going. And, and again, I think he's got to get the ankle healthy to get some of his explosiveness and quickness back. And, again, I think it's important that Tennessee's found some things um, in the month of December. I mean – you know, Adu's not been as good the last couple of games as you would like, but you know that it's in him. Mm. Uh, Tobey's playing better. Uh, Santi's starting, I think, to figure it. And Zakai's announced that he's back. Mm. The biggest storyline for me in basketball in the month of December is that Josiah Jordan-James has played like six straight games in a row where he's been really, really good. He's been their best player this year. Yeah, he's done some really – he's been really consistent. So I think that's a real positive for them heading into conference play. Absolutely. It's a long season. We'll see where they're at come uh, conference play and they just need to kind of get everybody right. And we'll see what they look like in the new year. Uh, Brent Hubs. It was funny though. I was talking to some Tennessee buddies about this uh, this past week. And I don't know if you feel the same, but it's kind of like we talk about just how uh, with everything school HQ coined the, the university here, Brent, what I always think about uh, the last couple of years with the big three in terms of Vitello um Heupel and Barnes they're all so different in so many different ways they're successful for very different reasons but I I just look at it and I'm like <laughs> I was thinking in terms of like just emotional investment and if you had to like if a Tennessee fan came up to you Brent and y'all have kind of touched on this a little bit um where look the recruiting stuff we're going to get into in a second with Heupel and where that's at uh, as we wrap up this 2024 class but now that we've gotten three years of seeing what Hypel is and the the offense and the adjustments and the recruiting, the portal, this, that, and the other, along with Barnes, we've seen for a long time, we know the defense first mentality. He kind of feels like Tennessee's Mark Richt for basketball. Um, great dude. You know what you're getting. The bar is really high. You're ranked every week. He's setting those kind of records. Like the, the ceiling's pretty high, um, but still no title and no deep run that everyone's still waiting for. And maybe that's this year because this is probably his best team he's had at Tennessee. So we'll see what it looks like in March. Um, but then Vitello, you look at it and it's like, oh, he's just completely different um, than those two. And he recruits at such a different level. He recruits like an Alabama in football and Tennessee might have a top three recruiting uh, base year over year as long as he's he's in Knoxville. But I don't know. It's just do you think about that and how different, uh, how interesting it is that all three are successful in three different ways? But which one ultimately gets a ring first doing it their way? Well, I, I mean, I think when you're talking about getting a ring, I mean, all three have their own sets of challenges, mm-hmm. all three sports do, to, to getting a ring. Now, now college football is changing because it's been a mentality that you can't lose in the regular season and still mm-hmm. win, which with the expanded playoffs, I, you know, that's going to change because 12 teams are going to get in. You're, you're going to have a chance with, you know, one or two losses to get in and, and have a chance to, to go play for the thing. Um, college basketball is weird because it's so much about matchups for three weeks. Mm-hmm. You could be the best team. You could be the hottest team going in. And in that sport, if you're off one day, it's over. Like, mm. it's the most sudden death thing ever. Um, and in basketball, one guy can can win a game for you. I mean, mm. he can be the total difference. I mean, one guy can get hot, and it's a 40-point night on a Thursday night in the second round or, a, you know, opening round of the NCAA tournament, and you go home. Mm. There's a lot more – I won't say luck because that's not fair, but good fortune has to fall your way to, to be the best team for three straight weekends. And, and nobody, very few teams have steamrolled through, right? Mm-hmm. Teams that have won a championship have had that one, 
how'd they pull that off? You know, that mm. one kind of uh-oh game. And then in college baseball, I think college baseball is as hard as anything to win yeah. because it's such a grind to get there. And then when you get there, it's a whole new season all to its own when you get to Omaha. But in terms of personalities, I mean, I think to win at Tennessee in baseball, you have that the coach has to be the face hmm. because you're marketing all the time. Now it's catching on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why is it catching on? It's catching on because a they've been good, and b their their baseball coach is rowdy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's a rowdy guy. I mean, if you get kicked out of a game, he's selling lemonade outside a stand. He's saying whatever he wants to say. You know, he he's just kind of doesn't care. I mean, he's at the football games and he's cheering and he's he's doing all kind of the zany stuff to to make sure he stays relevant in, mm-hmm. in in the minds of fans, which I think you have to do in baseball. Rick Barnes is seventy. He's he sold he's sold enough popcorn. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. same guy now. When he was at Clemson, rode around in a golf cart, went to every tailgate he could find huh. to visit with fans because he was trying to get fans to buy into Clemson basketball. Mm. I mean, he was he was at every Saturday tail. I mean, he was bouncing around all over the place at Clemson. Huh. Now he didn't have, I mean, the guy's going to the Hall of Fame. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to do that. Josh Heupel is making the adjustment to the popularity factor and the 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 stress of being the coach at Tennessee mm. versus where you were at UCF. I mean, it, uh, Josh Heupel's at his happiest when he's sitting in an office on a grease board, drawing up ball plays, figuring out how to make, figuring out how to convert third and six, figuring out how to, uh, Hey, how can I scheme to get a guy open? That by nature is when he is at his absolute happiest. Mm. And I think that there's still an adjustment period for him a little bit in terms of just the magnitude of this job. Not that he's failing at that, but there's still a learning element to how important everything is. You know, what what all these things matter that you don't think matter. They end up mattering and they're important. And so you're not just a guy trying to make a first down. You're a CEO of a multi-million dollar operation. Yeah. And, and, and I think he's I think he's growing in that. I think he's done a good job in that, but I think that's an area where he has to continue to grow. It is interesting. I mean to speak to that it's Vitello has that Vitello is not running from it he's building the juggernaut you I mean you look at what we're building in terms of seeding and just where that's going I also think we talk about just the gauntlet that it takes to win in the college baseball world series I was telling family I'm like here's the other part of it with emotional investment like the last three titles are all SEC schools LSU last year and then the two Mississippi schools before that we're on a run here yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you, the Mississippi schools that won it maybe weren't the best team in the SEC, yeah. and they won the thing. Yeah. You know, and that's the crazy part about that sport. I mean, mm. gauntlet that is this league is is just crazy. But but I yeah. think I think to to get yourself into the into the world of some of those blue bloods that have a, a better pedigree, if you will, than what Tennessee has had. Uh, because there was that long drought between what Rod Del Monaco did and, and now what Tony Vitello is doing, is you, you, you got to make it relevant. Mm. You have to make it relevant. And the one thing that's interesting about, about Vitello, and this is not a knock on Rod Del Monaco, because Rod Del Monaco sold it like nobody's business. Mm. And, and he sold it in a, in a little bit of a different way. He fought internally with people to make baseball relevant. Like mm-hmm. he, he was in meetings fighting for speakers for a better speaker system, hmm. right? He was, he was, 
he was internally fighting to get the commitment to baseball to where it needed to be. Mm. The popularity from that baseball team came largely from his players because mm. he had a bunch of Knoxville kids that were really good. Bubba Trammell, a guy by the name of Todd Helton, who was a really mm. good player that everybody in Knoxville knew. So the fan base for that team were, were a bunch of Knoxville people because mm. they had seen and, and knew about these local guys that were there. Tony Vitello's had some local guys who have been successful. Mm. He's also done some things with some mid-state guys who have become really popular and some guys out of state who have become really popular. And the most popular thing in Tennessee baseball is Tony Vitello. It's yeah. not been one individual player. That wasn't really the case with Rod Delmonico. Mm. Um, so there's a little bit of a skin in the cat, a little bit of a different way. Uh, but the thing, you know, I mean, Tony Vitello is real and yeah. he's brash and he's, you know, he's got, he looks pretty good on camera and everybody likes him and, and everything. I mean, he's witty and mm. be charming and he can be intense and, um, he, he's a baseball junkie. I mean, it's mm. baseball 24 seven out of him. And I think that's what you have to have at Tennessee. I mean, he was a great find. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy that, that when you hired him, it, what's interesting is who you hired. Yeah. You hired Rick Barnes, who everybody knew his pedigree. What was the question he had? How many years has he got left in him? Mm. Right. This is a soft landing spot for a guy who got ran out at Texas. Mm. Right. And then you hired Josh Heupel, who's had some success, right, at UCF, but he's still a little bit of an unproven commodity. Mm. I mean, he's one faster than anybody thought. But those two guys had a little more success. I mean, when Tony Vitello strolled up to the podium, everybody went, That's a pretty good looking dude. Can he <laughs> coach baseball? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what are we doing here? And what you found out is he put a great staff together. They've recruited yep. the rear ends off. He's motivating kids. Um, they've got a plan and they have executed their plan brilliantly to the point that you're putting a hundred million dollars into a baseball stadium and you've been in the college world series two of the last three years. Pretty good. And I tell a family and friends, I'm like, y'all don't understand. Like it's standing room only for like Georgia in mid April for a <laughs> Tennessee Georgia baseball weekend. And that's really unheard of in college baseball. You're not going to find that at a lot of spots. It's a hot ticket. It's the hottest ticket in Knoxville the last two years. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think they there's a couple of reasons. One, that's because you win. Two, yeah. tickets have been attainable. They haven't mm -hmm. they haven't outpriced the, the family for being able to go to a game. Now we'll see when you put a hundred million dollars into the stadium. Yeah. Is that, is that going to continue? The porch thing has become a just a social scene, mm -hmm. a social hangout for donors and a lot of people there that that suddenly going to baseball games are cool yes right and then and then this this fan base is smart enough to know when to get serious about baseball mm. right so you got some midweeks you got some weekends games that are okay and then you get later in the year and then all of a sudden i mean the intensity of the fan base in there in you know march compared to what it is in may is, is vastly different mm. as it should be one of the things i will applaud the, this administration, Danny White and everybody for doing with this stadium renovation is they didn't go dumb big, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't go stupid big. Like Mississippi State, where yeah, it's just big. empty. It's just too it's big. Just, yeah. I mean, for other than the Ole Miss series or LSU coming to town, it's empty. Yeah. Even when they're good, it's empty. And it's not because there aren't there aren't people there. It's just there are not fifteen to 20,000 people yes. there. It's too big. And so to keep it kind of – and that was a big thing with Tony. T Tony Vitello wanted to keep it – a kind of a small hornet's nest, as he's mm -hmm. called it. And that's exactly what he's getting with this expansion that's going on. It's going to be intense, and we'll see how this year goes. But I just – I, it's he's got the best thing cooking. I feel like he's got the best CEO and mindset for winning a title over the next couple of years. If I had to bet, 
of the three who would be most likely to win a title in the next three years? I think it would be Vitello. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably e- – I won't say easier because it's not easier. I, I think they're – I think in, in that sport you can overcome a bad – one bad day at the office. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have two bad days, you're going home. But but it's a best of three, right, Yeah, to get out. You can come out of the loser's bracket in a regional. You can have a hiccup. Mm-hmm. You can't have a hiccup in the NCAA tournament or you're yeah. going home. And if you hiccup late in the year in football, that's been that's eliminated you from that. Now we'll see. But then when you get, I mean, how are kids and everybody going to handle a three week playoff deal? Like the intensity of that, and I mean, that that's going to take some getting used to for coaches and players. Also, and the portal. Like we haven't even talked about this, Brent. Oh. Like, are we going to have guys play the first game and then have to leave and go to the portal for the second or third round because the calendar is still the calendar. Yep. And, and the portal calendar can't change Yeah, because guys have to get somewhere in January. It can't mm. change. So, I mean, like what would Kyle McCord have done for Ohio State if there was a 12-team playoff? He's standing on the sidelines at the Boca Raton Bowl watching mm. Syracuse, probably wondering what in the world he got himself into because they were a train wreck. <laughs> Congratulations mm. to Alex Golish, by the way. Yeah, But, but what are those guys going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you, you got to stay and play, but, but how are you? So are we really going to go the Eli Drinkwitz route and say, if you go in the portal, that's fine, but you still can play for me mm-hmm. out to season. Yeah. If that's the case. How's that going to go? How's that going to go in the locker room? All right, let's rally around Tommy. Tommy's going to be here somewhere between eight and 20 more days, but Tommy's our guy. Like, I hard. guess you look at it as an expiring contract in the pros. <laughs> But it's 18 to 20. They don't, even know what, yeah. they don't even know what that means. Yeah. You guys have no idea what expiring contract means. You know what I mean? It's yeah. half the college basketball players don't understand what a two-way contract means in the NBA. Yeah. You know? I mean, they just think you're drafted and you're on the team. Mm. I mean, so there, there's a lot to sort out in that world moving forward next year. I mean, December was really wild this year. It's going to be zany, crazy, bizarre come next December. It's great. We're all having fun, Brent. We're all having fun. And I'm sure the coaches are having fun. Uh, they're they're having a great time. Uh, speaking of recruiting, though, Chris Brazel, or is it Brazel? It's Brazel, right? Because his dad Brazel. was the Cowboys receiver. Yeah, it's Brazel. Yeah. Brazel. Chris Brazel. Um, he picks the Vols today. Um, I'm most curious now, how does this rotation look like? Because a lot of Tennessee fans are excited because the size, it's the measurables. Like, he's a big dude, 6'5" speedy uh, productive at Tulane, but still a big jump from uh, g5 to an sec uh schedule here in knoxville and i and i wonder too it's easy to forget but like the dante thornton hype i think was higher going into last year and i think um you still at least saw some stuff and he was at a power five school i wonder brent from your estimation how are you like all right he's a he's a nice fine or do you think he's more likely to be a plug and play starter than Dante Thornton was uh, supposed to be last year. Oh, I, I, I like, I like um, Brazel better than Dante Thornton from the standpoint of he has, he has more production. The thing about Dante Thornton that mm. got lost in Dante Thornton's arrival at Tennessee was D- Dante Thornton about, just basically caught takeoff route because he caught about, I don't know, a dozen of them. Mm. And that was, that was, that was his Oregon career. And so the, the idea that he was going to come in and, um, 
you know, roll right into that thing and, and, and being, you know, be the next Jalen Hyatt was unfair. Um, I think a lot of people hyped him up, you know, a lot of people in the building hyped him up. Some coaches hyped him up. It was called a freak, mm-hmm. you know, by, um, you know, by, by offensive coordinator, Joey Halsley, you know, and I, I think all of those things didn't help. And, mm-hmm. I think created some unrealistic expectations for him. So, I mean, I think when you look at, at, at Brazel, he's just, he's done more. He, he's yeah. been more productive. Um, now, how does it translate to the SEC? I mean, we can debate that and, and all those types of things, but he does have more production. So I think, you know, you got a better idea of what you're getting with Brazel. Whereas with Thornton, it was more about potential. And I wondered out too, like people who are worried, I, do you think anyone does, is there a an effect in the wide receiver room now? Because there's still some time to enter the portal, and we obviously will see how spring ball works with a couple of guys entering the portal. But you can't transfer to another SEC school if you transfer in the spring, right? And that the rule, That's correct? Yeah. So um, who knows if that affects some of these receivers? But do you think if you're like a Chaz Nimrod or a Caleb Webb, are you raising an eyebrow with Brazel coming in here? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're probably wondering a little bit, um, but. You know, I think that it's not the situation that it's, it's going to run someone off. Mm. Um, you know, some people have asked me about Brew McCoy. I don't think it has an effect on Brew McCoy. I think Brew McCoy's decision is going to center around whether or not Brew McCoy is healthy enough to work out for NFL people or not. Mm. Um, I think that's largely where Brew McCoy, McCoy's process and decision-making comes from. Um as for those other guys, I mean, I don't think so. But, I mean, you, I mean, in the world we live in right now, do we really know? I mean, mm-hmm. you got until January the 2nd to go into the portal if you're going to stay in the SEC. So anything could happen between now and then. Um, but I, I don't think it's one of those deals because it's still not a, the deepest room in the world mm-hmm. when you look at it. I mean, it's really not. You, you've still got quite a few guys out there that are – you know, they're just not big in numbers. And there's some guys who are still trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out whether or not they can play. Mm. Um, so I, I just, I don't, I don't think it scares them off uh, to, you know, to be frank with you. But again, I've been shocked by plenty in the portal, not at Tennessee necessarily, but around the country, I've been really surprised at a lot of what's happened. And I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan, this is great. It's competition. Like you want Thornton and Brazel to compete on the outside. You want Mike Matthews to come in here and compete with some big time transfers. You want to see Chaz Nimrod and Caleb Webb have to come up. They got some playing time down the stretch last year. I think Nimrod popped a little bit more for me than Webb. I don't know if you felt the same. I, I'm a little bit uh, more in on Nimrod as a long-term prospect in this offense than Caleb Webb to this point, but we'll see. Um, I don't know. I think the competition is good, right? Like, and if Brew McCoy wants to come back, you welcome him back. Like, you you don't go. Sorry, the spot. So there's just too many guys. Like what we saw this past year. And Nico, <laughs> you need as many uh good proven, and not even just proven, just guys. You need bodies uh, in this wide receiver room. And I just I I think don't overthink the rotation and who's starting. I think if you're a Tennessee fan. Oh, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that you let it go compete, and I think part of the the question Tennessee fans are asking, and I think it's probably the same question that Caleb Webb and them are asking a little bit of something. Now, wait a minute. You haven't played a deep rotation of guys, mm. you know, now part of that's because you haven't had a deep rotation of guys to play, mm. you know, um, 
but but the question becomes what does that rotation look like when you get into when you got more bodies to play with right i mean yeah. are you still going to play a light number are you going to play a heavy number you know exactly what are you doing there i think is a fair question that some of these kids are going to have um and, and if you know if i were those kids i'd probably have a similar type of question right i mean mm-hmm. i think that's just normal um so we'll see exactly what that looks like, you know, moving ahead. But for the most part, I think that these guys are pretty settled right now. I don't think it's a – I'm not overly worried about where where that room is. I, I think it was – I think you should be much more happy about Brazel coming in than you are worried about what might happen to, to that room kind of moving forward. And, I mean, uh, Mike Matthews looks like a dude. Like, he looks so much older in that picture of all the newcomers uh, for Tennessee. Um, I mean, I'm curious. I like, Rusty Manziel of On3, when we were talking uh, a few weeks back, of he was super high on him. And, obviously, we went to the same high school. So, uh, 100% track record here of Parkview High School kids uh, in the state of Tennessee. Uh, it's, a, it's a good history there, Brent. Uh, but he uh, – Of just the ones who got here. The ones who got here, that's the true. There was a here. guy who was committed here for a little bit during the Pruitt uh, era. Was it Chase Brown? Yeah, was running it? back. Ended yeah. up at Virginia. He was on the Virginia roster this year when Tennessee played him, and, okay. but he didn't play. He wasn't a factor. Mm. Well, look, Mike Matthews will go different than uh, the other Chase. Uh, yes, uh, a little bit. Yeah. A little I'm, bit. I mean, I'm just curious because freshmen, what we've heard forever, and you can speak more to this, Brent, that there's just this um, – not cliche, but just understanding that learning to play receiver in this offense is difficult for young guys. Um, you saw Thornton, it took some time and he was better on the outside. Um, squirrel played pretty early. So squirrel got, uh, I think got the hang of things pretty early as a true freshman, um, with some opportunities, but Jalen Hyde, obviously coming on, uh, later in this offense, uh, Cedric Tillman, uh, was older. So that's a little bit different, but I just I wonder because you haven't had a guy like Mike Matthews. You haven't had this five star, uh, just kind of supremely athletic, do it all type receiver come in here. I'm very very curious if it takes him a while because the way Rusty talked about him and just it like you got to get him on the field. Like I think with this kind of talent, like I'm just very curious how he changes how the receiver position rotation is managed at Tennessee because I think of anybody else I think Mike Matthews is the most fascinating to me in that room next year and where he fits because I think he has to play yeah and I think he's the one that probably gives pause to some of the other veterans coming back Mm. right that you're looking at more so than than even Brazel um now it's in this offense the further you get away from the ball the easier it is for the wide receivers Hmm. because there's less there's less reads there's less things that you have to Side adjust on and and kind of be on the same page with the quarterback with. Um, so does does Matthew start outside? Is that his fastest path to the field? Do they immerse him solely in the slot like they did Squirrel? Mm. And, and and can he get it to the point that he and Squirrel are the slot receivers? Um, we'll see. He, he Mike Matthews and Boo Carter for the last week have been the two guys that have generated the buzz out of the newcomers. Now, part of that's to be expected because they're skilled guys. The offensive linemen aren't going to generate any buzz at this point. Uh, but when you look at kind of the guys people are talking about, it's the athletic ability that those two guys have shown upon their arrival at Tennessee. So uh, lots of expectations, lots of curiosities to see where they are in, in the spring. 
I think the one thing that stands out to me about both of those guys and talking to them and dealing with them is I think both of them are highly competitive guys. Hmm. Which sometimes you wonder, you know, you got an all world talent who it's, it's come easy to them, right? You watch Boo Carter play. It's not, it's not the hardest game for him to play in high school. Right. I mean, hmm. he can, I mean, he's, he's an Xbox controller. He can, he can hit every button and spin and do everything that you want to do, but, but he hates to lose. I think he's extremely competitive. Uh, I think Mike Matthews is extremely competitive. And I think that is a really good thing um, for a young guy to have. And, and I don't think they'll lose that competitiveness, which will, I think they'll push in the spring. I mean, I think they'll push for decisions. The other thing too, mm. and I'm not getting on a soapbox because I've done it on the podcast too many times and people have complained, but we are in a world in an era where you got to play guys early. Yeah. And it's just a bottom line. When you look at the transfer portal around the country, you're seeing more first-year players go in than, than ever should go in, but you're seeing a lot of second-year guys go in. And mm -hmm. I think what happens is the first year, guys get on special teams, right? Offensive linemen know they've got to develop. Everybody just kind of not discards the first year, but kind of goes, okay, it's the developmental year. The second year is your is moving is moving year, right? That's mm -hmm. when you're going to make a really make a start to make a name for yourself. If you don't play in that second year, internally you're starting to question whether or not you're at the right place, and then externally your people around you, friends and families are like, "Hey, watch watch the game on the tube. Didn't see you. Mm -hmm. Didn't see you out there. What, what's going on?" And it starts to re, you know reverberate that a little bit and. I think that if you did a portal analysis, you're seeing a really high percentage of second-year players going into the portal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the year. Uh, some of it's first-year guys, but I think I think you're seeing a lot of second-year guys looking to go to the portal. And, and why? One, they're looking for opportunities. And two, they're a commodity to other schools out there. Mm -hmm. Because if you got to pay a guy and bring him in on an NIL deal, do you want him to be a one-year guy or would you like for him to be a multi-year guy? Well, you'd like for him to be a multi-year guy. Look at what Tennessee's done in the portal. Yeah. All right. States is a multi-year guy. Oregon State kid McCoy is a multi-year guy. Brazel, multi-year guy, right? I mean, that, that's what schools are ultimately looking for. So there's a pretty good, pretty good market out there if you're a second-year player because you're pretty attractive to coaches – um, because you've got multiple years in the program and you've used your one-time transfer, probably mm -hmm. not leaving after the next year unless the NCAA keeps is forced to keep this crazy rule that you can transfer as many times as you want. Then if you do that, you're going to see guys transferring every year. I really hope that doesn't happen. I would. I think Austin said on y'all show uh, a long time ago, like there should be a rule where you can't transfer the first year no matter what, because you just don't learn anything. It's just an adjustment period. Like you got to give it at least after the first year. Like you can't make rash decisions after the first year. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know, I mean, I look at the guy at NC State, the the Morris kid at quarterback yeah. at NC State. I mean, what? I mean, he didn't help. He didn't do himself any favors. He certainly didn't do any NC State any favors. Dante Moore at mm -hmm. UCLA. I mean. Really? <laughs> like, I mean, they're building everything around you and, and, and you're up and gone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you had the USC kid jump in. I mean, Ma Malachi Nelson. I mean, I think two of the top four quarterbacks in the country out of that much ballyhooed class from a year ago are already in the portal. Yep. I mean, wow. You know, I mean, there, there's some – that's a bit of a red flag that you're kind of wondering. And yeah. then, I feel, then I feel for guys like Duke and, and – uh, you know, wake for 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Those places where they take a chance on a guy that not a lot of other people wanted, mm. developed him into a pretty good player, and then that player bolts to you know, greener pastures where there's more money available for them, you know? Yeah. Whereas years ago, Philip Rivers was a guy nobody wanted. NC State took a chance on him, and look what he did for NC State for four years. In this day and age, would Philip Rivers had stayed his entire career at NC State, or would he have taken a an NIL deal, you know, at an SEC school or, or some other place because he just wasn't very highly recruited coming out of high school? So I, I feel for – Dave Clawson, what he's dealt with with Sam Hartman and what he's dealing with yeah. now and Riley Leonard doing that to Duke. I and mean, they had a coaching change there, so that makes a little more sense. But, you know, that's tough to, to get a diamond in the rough, groom him and develop him, and then, you know, send him on his way is basically what those guys are doing. When they get him well enough to get him good enough to play, you pass him on to somebody else. Well, I think uh, Bud Elliott tweeted this out uh, the other day, and I thought it was interesting where he was like, uh, he used to get all these tidbits from G5 coaches excited about like sharing like this P5 player slipped through the cracks and they were excited about having this kid. And they're like, this is awesome. Um, we we can't believe we, we this guy fell into our laps and this is a great eval by us. Now he's not getting any of those because no, they're all scared of uh, those guys getting poached. So it's like it, the, the, that conversation has changed where you're not bragging and you're not feeling good that you had this great eval. It's like, oh, I can't tell a soul. We got to hide this. Right. <laughs> this diamond in the rough here. Yeah. Well, and, and it's one of those deals where you can't hide them. Yeah. I mean, you know, because the the big machine places, the big money schools and the big machine schools, they, they got 12 guys in the back watching every game that they can watch of every mm. tape, you know, and they're not and then just if you're like UConn, you just come in and you're you, it's like an open season where uh, like because Tennessee's not really nervous about that game and they get to evaluate like could anybody hear Jolly that Jolly kid immediately they're like. Hey, we saw this guy up close and we can go get him if we want him, but we we don't have to take him. Like, that's a crazy spot to be in. Uh, welcome to college football. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, What do you think uh, in the 2024 class? Uh, we'll see what happens with Seton, which is just a turn a minute every day here. Um, and McKinley, the, the formerly Texas A&M five-star defensive tackle over the next couple weeks. But... As it stands right now, which uh, what was your biggest positional weakness missed in the 2024 class for Tennessee? Oh, I mean, you, you didn't sign a high school interior defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, that, that puts you in a position that you, you may be in the portal heavier than you want to be. Um, for 25 and for 26, now, I, I love Hobbs. I, I think mm-hmm. Weathersby is going to be a good player. Um but but again, you, I think you always got to be replenishing there because if you're if you're signing the right kind of player, then he's not going to be with you for four years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, most of those guys are three year players, and so I, I think that was that was disappointing that you didn't land there. Um, you, you finished out with a high school tight end in, in Cole Harrison, who we'll see how that develops moving forward. I think he's a unique prospect. Um, but but listen, there, I mean, that's a project. He's got mm-hmm. work through there. You missed out on all the top guys you tried to recruit at that position. Now, I, I don't, I don't think there's 
a whole lot. I mean, I think Cole Harrison is more productive than Jonathan Eccles was in high mm. school. Um, so I don't know that there's a huge difference between those two. But you went after the big names you could go after out there, and you and you whiffed mm. on the tight end position. So um, that that's that's an area that you came up short. Um, would you like to have had one more tackle body to, to go with Bennett Warren? Um, I like this. I'm going to be fascinated to see what Jesse Perry does as he mm. kind of grows. He looks the part, but that, you know, it's hard to judge. It's hard to say, well, he's, he can't miss. He's a can't miss or, or this. I mean, from a physical standpoint, George Seaton's the best one I've seen in a long time. Mm. You know, just from now, where's he, where's his headspace? You know what? I mean, what is this a guy who's on a one-year deal somewhere and is going to be looking to go through this process again next year? Um, you know, he's kind of all over the map with stuff, and um, I'm not saying you don't take him because he's physically extremely gifted and can be a plug-and-play guy. But I think you're trying to figure out just kind of where's his mental makeup and commitment to to the game and understanding. Hey, you you can't just live off your your physical skills. You got to know the game at this level too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tennessee would take him in a heartbeat. I don't think Tennessee's going to get him. I think it's Colorado or Maryland, um, and I think he's probably going to be re recruited a year from now. How surprised would you be though at this point, or taping this late on a uh, Friday, going or if, going into Friday? Here. If he ended up at Tennessee, mm-hmm. how surprised? I'd be surprised, shocked, stunned. No, I don't know. I don't think anything shocks you anymore. I mean. Plus, I've done this way too long and had too many guys tell you one thing or too many people surrounding a guy tell you one thing and he did the opposite. Um, so, I mean, I, I think nothing surprises you or shocks you, but I, I, right now I, I would not predict him to ten- – I, I would be surprised if he ended up at Tennessee. But yeah. what he wakes up in a few hours thinking, uh, that I don't know. I don't think anybody does. But I think, too, like Tennessee's in a good spot because I don't think it's a dire need. Like you would like, obviously, to have Jordan Seaton. But with the O-line all back next year, you feel pretty OK. Like John Campbell being back is huge. Like Mincy, we'll see because it really hasn't been consistent year in, year out. Uh, but when he plays, he's been good. Like that's the like Gerald Mincy has been one of your better tackles over the last two years when he plays. So you have Carich back. Um, you get Cooper back, obviously gigantic for um for Nico Yamaliava, and then you have Sprags. I mean, that's a great five. Like Tennessee, it's it's funny. There's like a disconnect between look, you haven't developed well, your guys, Addison Nichols, your highest rated one, he's out the door, he's at Arkansas now. But Glenn Ellerby is a good offensive line coach. Like Darnell Wright got better under Glenn Ellerby. Like once he gets him there, he's rec- he is developed well with a, a lot of guys, and he, I think he gets too much in terms of the recruiting fans i think focus a little bit more on that because also i just he works like he it doesn't matter think about all the different offensive linemen that he's had to interchange dane davis at center moving ollie to all these different spots and like the offensive line was not a problem for tennessee wasn't even a problem against georgia like it wasn't like the offensive line was overwhelmed even with all the different bodies i i I just i'm not really worried about the offensive line going into next year and eat with or without seaton or Anything else with uh, this group at this point? Well, you know, I, I think he's done a good job, you know, mixing and matching and, and doing those things. I think the red flag people have is that, you know, you're heading into year four and he's not, you're not playing a high school lineman that he recruited. Um, you know, is, is, is where you're at. I mean, you're not, 
mean, but does it matter if you're winning a lot of games and the guys that you are playing? Well, are no, good? but I mean, I think, I, I think what you do as a fan is you're you're picking all your scabs too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're you're picking those scabs and you're looking at them and going that way, you know, going with that. And here you've signed a dozen high school kids and none of them have played a, a significant snap for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, Addison Nichols did after an injury forced him onto the field, you know, when Cooper got hurt in a Vanderbilt game, but that was it. Now, should he have played, you know, all these, I mean, you can, I don't know. I'm not at practice every day to know if, you know, he deserved more opportunities than what he got. But, but I think that, you know, are you recruiting the right people mm-hmm. is, is a question mark. Now I like this group that they're bringing in. And I think, I think Bison Lang's got a chance to be a good player. Um, I'm curious to see where Sham Yumarov's going to be. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a lot of, of physical tools and um, some opportunity in front of him. So I, I think it's unfair when you throw out, well, he signed 13. Well, I mean, you know, Aiden Bustle, four of them were last year. I mean, how many how many freshmen are playing right out of the gate? And no yeah. freshman was going to step in and play on that offensive line last year with all that they had coming back. The and same, this is a good class. Right. The same that none of the freshmen coming in this year are going to have to step in and play mm-hmm because of what you're bringing back on the offensive line. The other thing, too, is I think in this system, the offensive line has to be talented in some ways, but they don't have to be road-grading physical in, mm-hmm. in some ways. So I think you can do some things schematically to help. Um, but but I'm a little hesitant to say I don't worry about that group or worry about that position because of Glenn Ellerby because I was on this podcast back in the summer, and I said – I'm not worried one bit about the wide receiver group mm. in the passing game because Josh Heupel can get everybody wide open. And he didn't get everybody wide open this past year. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I think we're all still figuring out how all of this works. But I'll give Glenn Ellerby credit because um, he mixed and matched and, and found ways to run for 2,000 yards and yep. you know, have some success against everybody that they played. Um, it's hard to say the offensive line was the – was the weak link of that offense this past year because I think they played well enough to win all eight games and probably well enough to to win another game or two. I agree. Um, final two here for you tonight, Brent. Um, how would Nico, because it hasn't been announced, we still don't know what's going to happen with Milton in the bowl game against Iowa as of this recording. How would Nico starting the bowl game be more instructive for us than Milton starting the bowl game last year against Clemson? How would it be more instructive going into uh, 2024? What do you mean by instructive? In terms of like, because you remember the hype machine, just, oh, Milton had a couple bombs to squirrel and Ramel, and like there was just a lot, the hype machine just took over. And you and I talked about it where I looked at it, I was like, he was okay. Like, he he was okay. There was a lot of three and outs. He took some bad sacks. I mean, the people saw the highlights, the nine minute YouTube highlights, and I'm like, I watched that game. It was, uh, it was all right. It it wasn't what we saw with Hendon Hooker by any means. Um, I don't know. Do you look at it? But the difference, I think, too, is like he's just a lot older. And Nico, this will be your first test, and he's a lot younger, and he can grow. But I, I just, in terms of instructive in that regard, do you think we can really pull a lot of hype and a lot from what Tennessee throws out? And if it is Nico, well, I, I think I think there's going to be I, I think there's going to be hype with Nico whether he plays or he doesn't play. And, and I say that just because everybody needs a summer storyline, mm-hmm. right? Um, he was the number one ranked player in the country by on three coming out of high school. Um, you know, this is a quarterback friendly offense. 
Um, you can pull a clip here and there in, in the limited time that he played this year and say, boy, he's a great fit. He's a better fit. He runs it. Look what he did here, his awareness, you know, those types of things. I mean, the hype is going to be there regardless. Mm. I, I do think that if he got a large sample size in the bowl game, it would give some some evidence to the hype mm. a, a little bit more. Um Maybe it's a maybe it tempers it a little bit if he doesn't play great, which would cause a gnashing of the teeth the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't have a backup quarterback. What in the world are you doing? Why didn't you get somebody out of the portal, et cetera, et cetera? If he plays really well, you know, and, and we're to put up real numbers and look good and the offense is humming up and down the field, then the hype's going to go, you know, even crazier than, than what it's been. But, but I think you just – you know, you want a sa- you want a bigger sample size. So, mm. um, I, I think the 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 educational part of it is just the sample size that you get out of him. Like, okay, here's where he is. He's got a ton of tools. Got a lot of things he can work on. And you know, how does he develop those in the off season? With Joe, it was all right. He had a month to get ready for Clemson. Mm. They beat Clemson. And he made three, you know, he made a couple of, he didn't overthrow anybody. He made a couple of really big time arm throws in the end zone. He's played a bunch of football. He knows what he's doing, man. We're not going to miss a beat. Yeah. It's off and running, you know, and that created the the, the hype and the, and the narrative with, with Joe the, the entire, you know, off season. Cause it wasn't just a Clemson game. It was remember, I mean, we had some ridiculous, like 80% completion percentage mm-hmm. and mop up duty or some, some bizarre deal. And then, then the Vanderbilt day, he Vanderbilt game, he didn't play great, but it was windy and rainy. And so he had a little qualifier on it that way. So how does he do in the Clemson game? He plays, you know, he makes a couple highlight reel throws that gets everybody fired up and, and away you go. I, I think the Nico hype is going to be big all year long, all, all season long. Uh, but I think everybody would like to see with their own eyes, some evidence to, to be around that hype rather than just kind of the blind hype that, it will be if he does not play or does not play very much in this game. And it's a great defense. One of the best defensive coordinators in the sport. Like I think if he was able to show out against uh, that kind of competition going into next year, I think that'd be huge. And I, I do, I do wonder, cause I just want to see him with the first team. And I understand it's not the same first team we've seen all year, but it's still like Ramel's playing, right? Uh, Ramel Keaton's going to play no uh, Jabari or Jalen, but I mean, you're still going to have Dylan Sampson. You're still going to have a lot of bodies. Some uh, still a lot of the key offensive line will be playing. Like there's still a lot of, first team guys who will be playing or talented guys with Nico who will be around next year. I just, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting to pull from this one than what we got from Joe mm-hmm. a year ago. And I'm going to be more attuned to what's happening. And I also wonder too, it, hypo kind of needs Nico to fly. Like you kind of, for just how, how much of a struggle this year was, on offense week in week out fans just getting antsy as someone who was in the building you know on the general quarters and watching it just the infighting over joe and the offense and the blame game and who where it lied and just how frustrating it was hypo's worst offensive year uh in his coaching career if joe if nico comes in and he flashes against a good defense like iowa and they put up points and the offense doesn't really have those lulls the we're throwing over the middle of the field again and there is just a difference with Nico and it kind of reminds you more of Hinden, then you feel really good going and oh. you just have that good feeling going into next year where you're like, okay, that was a blip. We we got through the blip and the the Nico stuff is 
uh, we're going to get back on track, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Um, and, and I think there was enough evidence with Joe for a lot of the fans out there that they wondered if the Clemson game was more of a blip on the radar screen mm-hmm. or if Joe had really turned the corner. Um, some people bought that he had really turned the corner, and a lot of national media bought that were, were buying Joe's stock. There were mm-hmm. still some other people like, one game, you got a month to get ready for it. What does he do over multiple weeks? You know, that type thing. Yeah. I think I think with Nico, the question, if he gets to play, I think the question is, what does the tempo look like? Do they mm-hmm. look not as efficient, not as productive? Because I think that's unrealistic because Jalen Hyatt's not running around out there and Hendon Hooker's not, you know, in year two of the offense making it mm-hmm. seem like it was. But are they playing faster? Or do they look more like what they were looking like in, in 22, not as yeah. productive, but does it look that way? Cause this offense didn't look that way this year. It didn't play. They didn't play fast. They didn't go with crazy tempo. Can, can they mm-hmm. get back to some of that stuff? And, you know, for the Tennessee fans that did watch South Florida, they saw some of that tempo stuff, you know, and, and, and Alex Golish took that from Josh Heupel. That wasn't Alex Golish bringing it to Josh Heupel, but you look at, the third touchdown, I think, that South Florida scored, it was a tempo touchdown, mm. you know, because the, Syracuse was struggling to get lined up, and bam, they threw it over to safety's head. Yeah. Um, and, and tempo was the reason they scored. It wasn't the play call. It was the fact that tempo got them into that play call so fast. So can Tennessee get back to some of that stuff? Because I do think that had some limitations on this offense this past year. And fans miss it. Like it was just, it was jarring. You just kept waiting for it, and you're like, "This isn't coming." Like it's like that's the tempo is not coming with this group, and it's just it was, uh, it was tough. Um, Final thing here, Brent. I don't know how much you've been looking at just what the 2024 depth chart is going to look like with Tennessee. We got a long way to go uh, before we finalize that. But something that stands out to me, and I don't know if this is too pessimistic about the 24 and 24 class. Cause I think it's going to be good. I think Tennessee will bounce back offensively. I think it's going to be, it's going to be fine. And I like the schedule a lot for Tennessee. That being said, it's year four. And with what they're losing in the portal guys, just moving on in general, I think the secondary is the least talented it's been in the four years that Josh Heupel has been here, especially the safety spot, safety and star. We're looking at a week group and i don't know i'm not sounding the alarm bells but there is a lot like the transfer guys it's funny because it's like oh like we got some bodies all right Danico was a like it wasn't like Danico was a, a bad player um it wasn't like gabe judy lolly was not a, a, a kind of a big hit like Jay, gabe judy lolly was maybe your most con- consistent corner for the full season uh this past year and really came into his own uh those last few weeks Ricky Gibson, I like a lot. I'm excited to see what he looks like. McCoy, though, starts true freshman. Very different going from Oregon State to uh, Tennessee. We'll see how he translates. Um, uh, look, we'll see. However, the safety spot, McCullough was okay. Like, McCullough was, had a solid season. Wesley Walker was fantastic. You lose both of those guys. I like Slaughter. I know you like Slaughter a lot. We'll see. True sophomore, if he's a starter. Um, the MTSU kid. This is a big jump up. It was not an immediate grab for Tennessee. If he's starting, I think that's an issue. You saw a lot of Brooks down the stretch here. I mean, Jordan Thomas struggles to stay healthy. I am very worried with Tamari McDonald also being gone here. I don't know if Tennessee fans are ready that the back end for this Tennessee secondary might be the worst we've seen in four years. 
Is that too alarmist for you, or do you think they are going to have real talent and depth problems in that back end for next well, year? Well, I, I mean, I think you've got some depth concerns, and you've got to have some you've got to have some young guys who come to the forefront. I think from a speed standpoint and athleticism standpoint, I think they got a chance to be more athletic if they can stay healthy. Um, that that secondary took a took a turn when Kamal Haddon went out mm. and didn't return. I mean, he was playing the best of, of anybody. It, it's hard to judge Slaughter this past year because I mean the turf toe thing with his foot was a real problem mm. that that he he trudged through um, and I'm su- I'm still not convinced corner was his best position I, mm. I think he could have been a, a more effective guy at safety um, than, than ultimately at corner um, so we'll see um, you're just young I mean yep. we're talking about guys who you know Christian Conyer I think has got talent I think Jordan Matthews has got talent. Um, I think you have some guys with talent. I think McCoy's talented, but but you're talking about those young guys only played outside. If you take Ricky Gibson out of it, the rest of that class, I think played ten or twelve snaps total mm-hmm. on defense. So you're green, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's so much that they lack talent; they're just lacking experience. And back there, when you lack experience, a bust can be a touchdown. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, a bust up front means maybe an eight yard gain on the ground. Right. Uh, but a bust on the back in there can, can absolutely mean a touchdown. That's why that front four is going to have to be able to get home. Mm. The pass rush is going to have to be good to help, help those young guys out. I'm not convinced they're done in the portal. I think they might go get another DB in the portal if the right ones, they're available to them. Corner or safety. Um, do you think? I think it would be more of a safety body mm. um, star, you know, somebody who, who can play a little bit more inside to create some depth there. Um, We'll see what a guy like Christian Harrison looks like. I think he's going to work at safety. Mm. You know, is that a? I think that's a better fit for him than corner. But what does that look like? Can he play? Can he not play? Um, you know, so uh, some talent there. Really, really green, and probably you know you 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 don't have as much depth, but you didn't play depth in spots this past year. Now yeah. you had to. You know, when when Tim McDonald got hurt. Yeah. You know, but you, I mean, McCullough played 94% of the snaps, 97% yeah. of the snaps this year. You didn't rotate back there very well. So some guys are going to have to grow up in a hurry. Um, yeah. and, and they need the MTSU guy to be able to play. I mean, really do. I mean, I mean, he's and that's kind of scary. That's what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. kind of scared in that back end. But, you need but, Slaughter but, to be welcome, good and you need that welcome, kid to play well. Welcome to college football. I mean, yeah. I think tight end scary, right? We're talking about. We're talking about holding states yeah. coming in, learning this offense. And I mean, look, McCon Castle's had a nice year, but he had some early season struggles trying to figure mm. out what to do, you know. And I can tell you right now, the tight end position in this offense is of the up of extreme importance in this yeah. offense. That's that stays and Ethan Davis, they, they got to have great springs and yeah. that group's got to stay healthy. Tennessee was fortunate. They played two tight ends this past year and yeah. they were healthy all the way through. That's not the easiest position to stay healthy at. Mm. Um, so I think the thing about this team next year, lots of questions. Mm. I don't know that you can say that they're they're lacking talent because I do think they're going to have talent in a lot of places. It's just unproven talent. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of teams going to be in that boat, um, you know, uh, but, but, but some of your elite teams are not, right? Mm. I mean – I mean, Alabama's not going to have a ton of questions coming back for next year. 
Georgia's bringing their quarterback back. They're, I mean, I know they're losing Bowers of that, but they're going to be, they're going to be good. They're, they're not going to take a big drop off by any means. So, um, We'll see. I mean, Oklahoma, you're talking about going to Norman, Oklahoma, and they're going to have five new offensive linemen and a new quarterback. Do you think Hypo will be motivated to win that game? Hypo? Do you yeah, think he'll be motivated be, to win in Norman? He will be, uh, that'll be a tense week. That'll be a stressful, that will be a high strung week that week for, for mm. him because A, he doesn't want to talk about going back there. But internally, yeah, that one's, that one's going to, that one matters. Yeah. There's no doubt that one matters for sure. Um, but they've got questions. So, I mean, I think in the world of the portal, a lot of teams have questions. That's why, again, I think it's important that you try to play young guys to develop them. I mean, look at where you feel like at linebacker. We've talked about mm. these positions of concern. But but you feel okay at linebacker. because I you feel great like, at linebacker. You like what Arian Carter yeah. can be able to do, right? You like what T. Lander has shown you. You know, you think Keaton Peely? We think Keaton Peely is going to be a good player. He's played mm-hmm. like three series of of college football at Tennessee, but but you know you you think he's going to be really good. So you think they're going to be okay at linebacker because they committed to playing some some young guys there in a mm-hmm. rotation from from game one all the way through. I think that has to translate to some other positions for Tennessee, as again the CEO of this program, the head coach grows moving forward. I think that's got to be paramount. And this day and age of the transfer portal, you better you better be seeing what you have, and, and yeah. you better be seeing what they what they are early in their careers, and not think that you're going to get them in year three because they may not be there, you know. And, and so you, I think you got to play guys earlier and earlier than you have to, unless you're going to go the Kiffin route. You're going to try to bring in 10, 10, 12 transfer kids a year, and that's going to be the core of your roster. I don't know if that's sustainable. Time will tell on that one. My gut tells me, and I'm curious if this happens. I think Tennessee looks at this year as not a title. Like, you want to make the playoff if you can with Nico if he pops the way he can. I think they're, I don't know if they go as much Old Miss 2023 here uh, and 20, going into the 2025 season, but I think my gut tells me that that's the circle. Like, we, we need to try and really contend for a title in 2025. Year two of Nico, uh, certain guys will be sophomores that you need to be. I, I just, my gut just tells me they're going to be heavy in the portal going into 2025 and making sure that that depth and everything they need to do to make a serious title run is 2025. Well, and I think the challenge with that is assuming your roster retention's good, and it mm. has been for the most part, assuming your roster retention is is solid coming out of the 24 season, I, I think you're in the portal for big bodies. And I yeah. think big bodies, big bodies aren't necessarily the easiest things to find in the mm. portal. Um, you know, and, and if they are, they're not the cheapest ones to find in the portal either. Yeah. So um, th- that's why, you you know, you need you need the Caleb Herrings to come on on the mm-hmm. outside, right? You, you need Jordan Ross to be a guy who can play early for you and be ready to go in year two for him, which would be mm-hmm. 25. These offensive linemen that you've signed here need to take this year to get themselves ready so that you're not in the portal saying, I got to have four offensive linemen. You need Sham and uh, Menzi rotating at right tackle next year. You well, need those you, two playing together. Well, you have to make a commitment to playing them. Yeah. Because you've got to know. And you've got to keep them engaged so that they don't come to you and do what Addison Nichols did. Yeah. And say, hey, you know what? And, and maybe Addison knew all those guys were coming back and he was going to set for a, for a third year and he had no yeah. desire to do that. Um, 
but you didn't have him engaged enough where that, that was even a thought process for him. So yeah. that's just something that you have to do. It's, it's as much engagement for those guys as it is development. Brent Hubs, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at VolQuest.com this week? Uh, the worm is it up yet, or is it going up? Worm uh, is up. Yeah, we okay. took care. Of, we took care of that in the early minutes here on on the on this podcast. I hope I wasn't too distracted. I hope you didn't. You're didn't talented. I didn't know. I was thinking about it. Whenever we do these on Thursday nights, I always think about it, like uh, if I, he's going to do it. How you I do got it? That thing, I got that thing posted out there, and um, so we got the war room up, and and then obviously we're going to continue to track um, any any other portal news good or bad for tennessee um any other potential news that, that comes about and then obviously we've got christmas coming up we'll do a on on christmas day i'll do a look back at the kind of year that was for the all everything school um you know was what, what do you call it everything school hq for the everything school i may have you to can use, use that it. i can yeah. use that in my headline okay yeah, you can use that i, I, might, I might just steal that Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll do that on Christmas Day, mm -hmm. and then we'll be right back into our regular um, programming scheduling for a game week in, in sunny Orlando. Hopefully, it'll be sunny and warm, but we'll be down there for the week covering everything. Are you going? Oh, yeah. We'll be down okay. there from uh, for the entire week to get ready for that game, and then we'll continue to track what high school kids are going to visit, what portal kids might come in for a visit in January. Uh, we'll get ready for this basketball conference season and see – you know, where where everybody is coming off a, a little three or four day hiatus from the, the gym to kind of catch their breath. We'll see where this team is when they come back and play again on the second. I'm just ready to get obnoxious for baseball season. Brent. I'm ready because you just become we all become Vitello adjacent <laughs> during baseball season. It's great because it's not my personality at any other time. But me at a Tennessee baseball game is a totally or watching a Tennessee baseball game is a totally different breed. I'm telling, I'm telling you right now, the most stressed people over there right now, and I saw him on Friday walking around, the most stressed person is the project manager for that expansion going right now. Now, yeah. they have been blessed with weather, yeah. and the weather looks good. I'm, I don't know that they're going to work Christmas Day, but I bet they work, uh, I bet they work part of this weekend um, to, to try to get that thing going because that's got, I mean, um, to bar you getting tight, Brent? To borrow the Tom Hanks line from Apollo 13, the earth is getting big in the window, my friend, because we're we're inside 100 days of, of playing college baseball, and mm. uh, they're still pouring a lot of concrete over there at this point to, to make that somewhat of a finished product. They're going to make it, I think, but they do not need a bunch of bad weather, and mm. they're going to need a lot of overtime because that is a – that is a what they're trying to get done in that short period of time is really, really pretty impressive um, because it's a pretty – pretty large undertaking that's going on right now. So uh, the project manager was, he wasn't just walking by tapping guys and going, Hey, have a great weekend. He was, yeah. he was taking a close style. We getting as much done as we can. They had about 20 guys out there working Thursday yeah. afternoon. I mean, it was stuff buzzing in every direction to try to get this thing going. I wonder if uh, the Tennessee Smokies stadium project manager and the, the Lindsey Nelson project manager get together every Friday afternoon. Like, Hey, how was your week? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you this on 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 hmm. the uh, I guess that's Todd Helton. That's not Todd Helton Drive there. I can't remember what that street is that runs between the baseball field and the practice field. Yeah, yeah. W whatever that dividing line is hmm. on the baseball side, there was about 20, 20 workers buzzing around like daggum bees. And on the hmm. other side, where they've been working on the uh, Anderson Training Facility expansion project for like two years now, there's like four guys working. Mm. <laughs> that one's not on any kind of timeline the other side it's like you better get this thing done man and they i mean they were they were getting after it quite you know pretty good so 
trying to get a bunch of bunch more concrete poured to get ready to to put the seats in and get it ready for seats here in a few weeks. So lots of lots of work to get done, but it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really tight up against the field. It's going to be really loud, and there's going to be plenty plenty of excitement about it. it should be fun. Giddy up. FallQuest.com. Subscribe today if you are not already. It's the best Tennessee website on the internet. Uh, make sure you're locked in with Brent and the guys over there. Brent Hubs, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you again very right. soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.